Okay, so, so the, topic of the, the topic of the series is strengthening your family's values in 2022. And, and um, this, is such, this is such a big topic that we could spend the next, you know, the next three weeks sitting here talking about it every single day, not just every single Wednesday, but, uh, you know, talking about this topic. Um, but first of all, a very big thank you, Mrs. Levy. Thank you for, for hosting it, and thank you for hosting tonight and putting it all together. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for coming to join us. Um, the, first, the first class of the series is titled Your Individuality and Your Spirituality. Individuality and Spirituality. Um, Huge, huge topic, probably one of my favorite topics. You know, this past summer, great story, this past summer, so we, uh, we spend the summers in Camp Sternberg in upstate New York. It's a girls' camp, and my wife, uh, my wife works there. We've been spending the summers there the last number of years. It's beautiful. And so on the campus, they house another camp called Camp Kesher, which is for Down Syndrome girls. And it's, it's beautiful, and they integrate into the campus, etc., and they have a thing that every single Shabbat for the whole summer, they bring in, they bring in a guest speaker, somebody from New York or whatever, somebody that comes um, to speak over the course of Shabbos a few times, four or five times, whatever it may be. And so they called me before the summer, even though you know, we're on campus, they said if I would be the speaker for one of, the, for one of those Shabbats. And I said, sure, happy to do it. So it, was the, it came that Shabbos, and Friday night... So I'm heading into the dining room with my family to go for the meal. And there's this girl, one of the Down syndrome girls, her name is Badia, comes running up the road. She's screaming, Rabbi Moskowitz, Rabbi Moskowitz, can I talk to you? The serious face. She comes over, said, sure, Badia, what's going on? She says, I heard you're the speaker this week. Is that true? I said, yes, I'm the speaker. So that means you're going to be speaking by our speech at Shal Shuddis tomorrow? I said, yes. That's it. I'm going to be speaking there. She says, can I ask you a favor with this very serious face? And I'm thinking she's going to ask me maybe to say over her favorite story. Maybe if she could have a seat right in the front. Like, what's she going to ask? I said, Badia, whatever you want. Of course you could ask. Of course I'll do anything. Whatever you want. She looks at me. She says, Rabbi Moskowitz, could you please keep it short? <laughs> I said, Badia, I said, for you, anything. I said, but why? She said, well, because they, they write after the speech, they sing Zmirot, and sometimes the speakers, they go too long, and she likes singing the Zmirot, so it takes away from the singing, and it bothers her. So please, if you could do me a favor and keep it short, I said, absolutely. <laughs> for you, absolutely. But, uh, but since Badia's not here tonight. <laughs> so, and this is a big, big, big topic. So, you know, we will still try to keep it short, but there's so much to talk about. So much to talk about. We'll, we'll introduce you to the story. It's a story about a family that was living in this small town. And this town, everything was about high school football, varsity football. That was everything. You know those little small villages, even smaller than the college towns that like, I grew up in? But like, everything was about high school football. And this family, they had a bunch of boys who were all big, and they loved playing football, and they were great every time they joined the team. They were, they were the all-stars, they were the captains, etc. And they were the best. And everything was amazing. The only problem is that they had one child, their youngest son, was their youngest son hated football. Hated football. And every time he went to a game, 
he, he, like, he would watch his brothers, but he didn't like this. The only thing that he liked about it was that during halftime, they would have the music would come out and the marching band, and he would watch the guy on the trombone. That's what he liked. That was the only thing that he liked. He hated football, but there was this expectation from his parents, from his older brothers, from the community as a whole, because everybody knew that the Canner family boys are the best at football. It's his expectation that he's going to be great at football. When it came his junior year, when he could try out for the team, so his parents called him into the living room, and with this big smile on their face, they hand him this gift box. And he said, oh no, this is terrible. I know what this is. This box contains all the football gear, the helmets, the pads, all of that stuff that they gave. They did this every single time with all of my brothers before the junior year. They give them all that stuff to prepare them for the football. And what am I going to do? Because I hate football. So how am I going to react? He's preparing himself for his reaction. He doesn't want to insult his parents. But at the same time, this is not what he wants. He so opens up the box and he sees that there's no football equipment in there. But there's a beautiful gold trombone. And the parents look at him and they say, we know we know that you're not like your brothers. We know that you don't like football, and that's okay. And we're comfortable with that. And we want you to excel at what you're good at, and we're giving you this trumpet. We know that this is what calls to you, and we want you to be the best you that you could be. And, you know, we know, we know that this concept is so true when it comes to this kind of stuff. We all know it intellectually when it comes to our... You know, our kids and their sports, and you're not going to sign a kid up for sports if they don't like sports. You're not going to sign a kid up for this type of camp if that's not good for them, and et cetera. We all, we all know that. The question that, you know, that sometimes needs clarification is how does this play a role when it comes to our Yiddishkeit, when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to Judaism, and when it comes to our values, and when it comes to what it is that we're supposed to be doing in our service of Hashem? So how do we figure that out? And there's a beautiful piece, one of my favorite Divrei Torah, and it's the first thing on your sheet over here, number one on the sheet. The, the Mesilas Yesharim, one of the classic, if not the classic work on Jewish ethics and Jewish philosophy, really the handbook for Jewish understanding. And he says right at the beginning of the book, he says something unbelievable. This is the first chapter. He says the following, Yesod hachasidus v'shorish havodah tamima, the foundation of piety. Piety means to reach like a very high level in our closeness with Hashem. I'm not getting into the exactness of what that level is, but it's a very high level of closeness to, to God. Ha'avodah tamima, of the pure service of Hashem. Is, how do you figure that out? He says, She'yisbara v'yisames eitzel ha'adam, that a person should have, it's for a man to clarify and to come to realize as truth. Ma chovaso olamo. I'm reading in Hebrew because those Hebrew words are so important. Ma chovaso olamo. Those are the most important words. What is his obligation? Ba'olamo, in his world. And to what he needs to direct his gaze and his aspiration in all that he toils all the days of his life. If a person wants to know what it is that I need to do in order to reach high levels in my service of God, a person has to have three words. This person has to know, Ma chovasoba olamo. What is his obligation, and his obviously is referring to male or female, his obligation, ba'olamo, in his world. 
And Ravoli, one of the great Torah thinkers of the last generation, he says, why does he add in that vav at the end? His world, his obligation in his world. Huh? If you want to know what you have to do as a Jew, so then I would think that you need to study the laws. Now, the laws are the same for everybody, right? When it comes to, there's 613 laws in the Torah, right? And they're the same laws. Same laws apply to everybody. Yes, it's true that Kohanim have, have some, other people don't. Okay, but it's basically the same. If you're learning how to drive, right? How do you figure out how to drive? You read the manual. It's the same manual for everybody. Same red light, same stop sign, same yield sign. There's certain people who think, there's certain people who think that the, uh, that the red light, the stops and the yield sign doesn't apply to them. Okay, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why those people think that. But it applies to everybody equally. It's the same laws. So you just say... What is the obligation in the world? What are our Jewish obligations? He says, no, no, no. But he's telling us much more than that. Ma, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. Here, we have some extra sheets here. We'll, we'll send down. He says much more than that. He says, ma, here we go. We can pass these down. What is his, what is this person's obligation in their world? Hello, hello, welcome. In their world. What is their obligation in their world? In their own world? Which is teaching us something so profound. You want to know what it means to be a Jew? To be a Jew is simple. He didn't write a book for that. To be a Jew is simple. There's Torah and mitzvot. Go read the Torah and you'll do the mitzvot and beautiful. But if you want to know how to really serve God, if you want to know how to really come close to Hashem, a person has to clarify what is their own obligation, chovaso, what is their obligation, be'olamo, in their world. You see, he expounds and he says every single person has their own world that they live in. That world is determined by their upbringing. That, that world is determined by their friends that they had in their youth. That world is determined by the community that they were brought up in. That world is determined by um, that world is determined by their personal psyche, by their intellect. Everybody has different levels of intellect. That world is determined by their personality. Like we said in the first story, that kid, one kid's into football, the other kid isn't. Everybody has different things that, that drive them as far as their personality. All of that, the personality, the, in, the, the, um, the intellect, the background where I grew up, who my parents were, who my friends were. All of that plays a role. Chovaso, in, in the, all of that is the person's world. And when a person can really determine what is their world and really think about their own world, I'm in my own box, my own bubble, because I have my own world, my own upbringing, my own understanding, my own personality. When they understand that, then they can start to understand what is their obligation. And it's only then that they can start to approach the Torah and the Torah's laws and what the Torah expects of us to understand how I apply that to me based on my world and based on my understanding. And then they could understand so their own personal obligation. And every single person, every person sitting around this table, every person in this community, all of our children, and the individual children, have different obligations as far as their service of God. 
a different role, a completely different mission. You know, there was a famous uh, Hasidic master, Reb Zusha, and there are many stories told about the great Reb Zusha. And when Reb Zusha was on his deathbed, he was a big, big tzaddik. And when he was on his deathbed, so his Talmidim, his students, they saw him crying. And they said, why are you crying? You know, you were a big tzaddik. You did so many mitzvot. You learned so much Torah, right? You reached such high levels. Such a big tzaddik. Why are you crying? And he said, listen, he said, I'm not crying because when, they, when I come up there to Shemayim, they're not going to ask me why you didn't reach the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. They're not going to ask me why weren't you as great as David HaMelech. They're not going to ask me that. You know what they're going to ask me when I get to Shemayim? They're going to ask me why weren't you as great as Zusha? Why weren't you as great as you? Why weren't you as great as you could have become? has nothing to do with Moshe Rabbeinu or Sarah Imenu or Rachel or, or, or David HaMelech or the person next door to Austin Shul. God could care less about, as far as I'm concerned, God doesn't care about them. What they're expected to do and their level and their mission has to do with them. My level and my mission has to do with me. And he was saying that I'm nervous because maybe I didn't live up to my own personal obligations and to my own personal mission. You know, the Vilna Gon writes it so beautifully. It's number two on the sheet. And we'll read it in English for, for the sake of time. He says that this is amazing. Apple started this thing and I never thought that it would be an inconvenience. This face ID. The face ID thing. Okay. So now when I want to keep, make sure the recorder is still going, I got to lift it up to my face. Isn't that? So, okay. It is, it, it is what it is. I guess it's worth it for the security. You know, but okay. It is what it is. But the Vilna Gon says, we'll read it in English. Listen to this. Every single person, number two, every single person has their own path to take since the knowledge of one is not comparable to another and their image is not similar and the nature of two people is not equal. In turn, every single person is different. Every single person is different and therefore God, you know, this isn't like, you know, some type of a situation where there's no standardized testing. You know, again, standardized testing is a good thing, but like, it's not like that. Like, oh, a standardized test to be a Jew and everybody's got to pass the standardized test. You get over a 65, you pass, you get under, you fail and everything is wonderful. What? That's not what this is about. Hashem knows that every single person is different and in turn, what I'm supposed to be doing in my mission in life is different based on who I am. Rabbi Ben-Sion Schaefer from the schmooze.com says over something so amazing. And he said this idea over, uh, he said this, said, says this in one of his famous talks. And um, I heard it many years ago and it had such a powerful impact on me. He says a muscle, a story. Listen to this. He says, imagine there's a fellow who's trying to get into the acting business. And he's been studying in college, drama, etc. He wants to become a famous actor. And he's trying to get himself gigs in movies, etc. And all of a sudden, his agent calls him up and he says, listen, I have a great gig for you. I got, there's a movie that they're working on right now. And they called me for you to be the main actor in the movie. And this is huge. This is a great opportunity for you. Because there's going to be, it's a great plot. There's going to be some other famous actors acting in it. And you could play the main part. This is going to be big. This is going to be huge for your, for your career. He says, okay, what is it? What is it? I'm excited. And he starts to tell him the plot of the movie is, well, there's this individual who lives on the street. He doesn't have a home. He's a beggar. 
And he's constantly like going from job to job and he's trying to make ends meet and he can't make ends meet and he keeps on getting fired and he can't find a place to live. And it it goes through his trials and his tribulations, all that he's going through in his life. And all the other people are involved in who he comes across, etc., etc. And the fellow says, no way. No way. I don't want this part. I'm not doing it. And he hangs up the phone. He says, what? So a few minutes later... You know, the agent gives him some time to calm down. And then he calls him back. He says, what's the matter with you? Why wouldn't you take this job? He says, well, this is terrible. You know, in all the movie theaters around the world, they're going to be looking at me and they're going to see me. Yeah, me acting as that guy. And I don't want to be viewed as that guy. When people leave the movie theater and then they see me, my friends and the people on the block, they're going to associate me with, with him, with that outcast and that individual who couldn't make it in society. They're going to think I'm, I'm him. I don't want this. I don't want people to view me that way. And the agent says, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Nobody's going to view you as him. Don't you know how acting works? Nobody views an actor and nobody judges an actor based on the part that they play. You judge an actor based on how well they play the part that they're given. You could have the best actors in the world, the most famous actors in the world, and they could play a part in a movie as the president of the United States, or they could play a part in the movie as, some, as, as a down and out who's living in the street. It doesn't matter which part they play. If they do a good job, a really good job at it, then they'll win all the top awards. And if they don't, then they won't win any awards. You're not judged based on the part that you're given You're judged based on how well you do at the part that you have. And he says that that's exactly, that's exactly how Hashem views us and our role. Every single person is given a different part and we are judged, so to speak. We are are viewed, we're evaluated based on how well we do at that part. And it's irrelevant, totally irrelevant what the part is. So one person could be born with a tremendous intellect and therefore their part may involve, you know, something that is of higher intellect and, and, and reaching higher levels than that. And another person may have a lower level of intellect, but may have certain talents in other areas. And that's really what God wants them to excel at in those talents. Every single person has their own, their own world their own world. And our job is to try to tap into that, to recognize that, and to understand that Hashem only expects us and our children to do what it is that they are expected to do based on their talents and based on who they are. And this is like, it's the most fundamental thing. And as I said, I think this is so, so, so critical and so important. And this lesson, I think, unfortunately gets a little bit lost, maybe more than a little bit, in today's society, in today's world. And tell me what you think, please. Like, you know, let let me know. But like, I I sense that, uh, you know, let's take the outside world. Let's take the, the, you know, the not Jewish world. The world as a whole, okay, it's so, it's so, so unbelievably focused on the exterior and the superficial, Right? So as far as people really understanding themselves and really understanding who they are, it's not really such a value out there. And that seeps into our world. 
And it, it comes, you know, you find this type of talk out there as well, like, oh, you know, what they dress like determines exactly who they are. Really? That sounds bizarre, right? Uh, you know, all this external stuff when... I don't judge. Huh? I don't judge people how they dress, I know. they talk, how they look, with who you are, where are you coming from. Not judge, but this is the perception of the person. Right, right. And, and, and again, we, you know, when it, comes to, when it comes to like a general understanding of like, you know, which community would that person feel the most comfortable in, etc. Beautiful. That's a wonderful thing, you know. And yeah, there's different people feel more comfortable in different places and that's fine and that's okay. But when it comes to, the, the problem is, the issue is that this gets clouded. Okay, this gets clouded when it comes to our own um, our own personal avodah, when it comes to recognizing what it is that I'm really supposed to be doing, and especially when it comes to guiding our children, especially when it comes to guiding our children, because we need to understand that every single person is their own individual and has a mission that is specific and very unique to them. And the only way, the only way that we're going to be able um, the only way that we're going to be able to do that and to properly understand our mission is if we start to understand ourselves and we help our children, our, our children understand themselves. And if you look at number three on the sheet, Revolbi, who I quoted earlier, he says something so unbelievable. Listen to this. He says that what stands at the beginning of your individual avodah, your individual service is recognition of yourself. You want to know your service of Hashem? The first thing that a person has to look at is themselves. And I actually used the same thing in a talk before Rosh Hashanah, like when we're talking about growth, you know, during Rosh Hashanah time, an Elul person talking about personal growth and they want to grow. The first thing, this is actually, I believe that's where he talks about this, um, that the first thing a person has to do is to recognize themselves. And he says, whoever doesn't merit this, the gate towards your specific service is closed. He lives at ease with his spiritual standing and stumbles in many areas. But whoever merits to recognize his own self will for sure lead to fruitful service and to deep changes in his actions and his character. If you understand who you are, who you are, what is your upbringing? Where are you from? Here we go again, right? Where are you? What what is your personality? What are your talents? If a person starts to understand that and can really tap into it and really feel it, then they could start to understand their mission and in turn can understand what it is that Hashem really wants from me. What is it that Hashem expects? You know, Rav Yeruchim Levavitz said something so amazing. It's not on the sheet. I, uh, I didn't get a chance to put it on, but he says something amazing. He said, and I'll quote and I'll translate. You have to say it in Hebrew. To say. He said, Oi, it's really, you know, adding in some Yiddish. He said, Oi lo la'adam. He says, woe to a person. Oi, like woe to a person who doesn't recognize their weaknesses. Shame, shame on you. He's saying, if a person doesn't recognize their weaknesses, right? The things that they're bad at, things that they struggle with. Because the person then doesn't know what they need to fix up, how they could improve, how they could improve in their relationships, how they could improve it with others. However, he says, which is like super oi, okay? Super oi, to a person who doesn't recognize their strengths. Because then if you don't know your strengths, then you don't even have a clue as to what you have what to work with. You don't even know what to work with because you don't know your strengths. 
The person doesn't know their strength. I don't know. I, I can't get to first base. First base, I'm not even in the ballpark because I have no idea what it is that I, what, you know, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. It's like a person going into work, going into the office, and there's no computer, and there's no desk, and there's no pen, and there's no pad, and there's like just nothing. I mean, what do you, you know, what do you do? And the Wi-Fi doesn't work. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> then you can't even use your phone, right? They, you, don't even, you, you can't even start working. You can't even start working. Just go home for the day and come back when everybody gets it all together. If you don't, if a person doesn't know their own strengths, it's much worse, he's saying, than not knowing your own weaknesses. Because then you have no clue where to get started. And it's the people who really tap into those strengths that are the ones who are really successful. There's a great, um, there's a great story. There's a motivational speaker by the name of Jessica Cox. Now, Jessica Cox, um, she travels around the world telling her story, okay? Not Jewish. This is not, not a Jewish speaker. She goes around telling her story. And this is her story, okay, in a nutshell. Story is that uh, when she was a kid, she wanted to play piano. She was about nine years old. She wanted to play piano. And... Uh, She told her parents, can I play piano? And they said, sure. And they got her piano lessons and she learned how to play piano. And she became good at it. Amazing. And then she said, I want to do more with my skills and my talents. So I want to learn Taekwondo. And they said, sure. So they got her lessons for Taekwondo. She excelled. She became a black belt. Amazing. She said, I want to do more. They said, okay, what do you want to do? I want to learn how to scuba dive. Expert scuba diver. Sure. So she was about, I think, 19 already at this point in time. And they helped her get scuba gear and get the lessons, etc., she works it out, scuba diving. Amazing, amazing. She's scuba diving now. Uh, expert scuba diver. Then she says, that's still not enough. I want to become a pilot. And at the age of, I think she's like 24, is it? I want to become a pilot. Sure, go for lessons. She becomes a pilot. She becomes a certified pilot. And she's able to fly a plane uh, at an altitude of 10,000 feet. And she's going around flying planes. And she's telling the story. Now, it sounds like, you know, very nice, but how come she's a famous speaker that gets brought in to so many places telling this? Well, the answer is because Jessica Cox was born without any arms. She was born without any arms. And despite not having any arms, she learned how to play the piano with her toes. And she mastered it. Piano, taekwondo, scuba diving, And yes, she mastered flying a plane using her feet, using her toes to manipulate all of those things that are going on in there. And that's why she goes around telling the story. Now, that's a person who recognized, I'm sure she recognized her weaknesses. I mean, how could you not? That's very clear and obvious. Recognize the weaknesses, recognize the challenges. But she tapped into her strengths. She recognized, what can I do? What is it that I'm really able to do? And she did that. And she followed through and she persevered. And she utilized what, you know, the capabilities that she does have. Again, we're talking about in the physical world over here, but it's just to help us understand. And she was able to to really accomplish things that, that many people who have arms are not able to accomplish in a full lifetime. It's amazing. She was able to look past those weaknesses and she was able to clearly label what she can and can't do. And, you know, this idea is what we need to do as far as our spirituality. Because this is what plays such a big role. And it, and it, it, plays, 
It plays so deeply in all of our daily interactions. You know, the Vilna Go, number five on the sheet, four and five over here, he explains a Pasuk in Mishle, okay? Number four, the Pasuk in Mishle says that the one who walks in his uprightness, Yoshro. Yoshro comes from the word Yoshro, which means like straight, upright, the proper path. That person fears Hashem. And a, a man who knows the Boze, a person who has devious ways, scorns Hashem. Okay, but the Vilna Gon is explaining the first part of the Pasuk. A person who walks in their uprightness, fears Hashem. What does that mean? He says every person needs to go in the path that they need to. Because the Midos, the character traits of people, aren't equal. And because of that, he may be more prone to do an Avera that comes from that particular mida. I may be driven by a certain mida, by a certain character trait that you're not driven by. And he needs to guard himself very much from that. And his friend doesn't need that shmira, doesn't need that guarding. Because that desire, that negative um, trait, and we all have negative traits, let's be honest, right? This is reality. This is what we're here for. That negative trait may not affect me or may not affect you as much as it affects me. It affects me in a very powerful way. And as a result, that person is more prone and more driven in a certain way, in a certain way. Okay, maybe they are, um, have more of a, you know, more of a desire, maybe, you know, more of a desire to speak lush and hara, to speak negatively about others. I'm just thinking of an example, Okay. Some people don't have that desire so much, okay? I mean, we all face the challenge, but some people, it could be it's, it's really a stronger desire with other people. So in turn, it's like the, the, the playing field is totally different for that, for that person, for person A and for person B, because person A may be more driven towards that, and therefore they need to do more to protect themselves in that area. But his friend has a different mida. His friend has a different character that triggers him, so he needs something else. And therefore, what does it mean in the pasuk? Go in his upright path in the way that is proper for him, in the way that is proper for you, for the individual, even though in the eyes of others it may be bad. People may be looking at you like, what are you doing? You know, the person may be, I don't know, this person who is so, like, has this issue with the Lashon Hara, you know, May, uh, you know, may at times start avoiding certain people, not in a negative way, not to put them down, but like, you know, try, if they're really trying to grow, try to avoid certain people at certain times because they're nervous that they're going to end up talking, you know, lush and hara. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Other people may be looking at you, what are you doing? Why aren't you coming to coffee with us? Like, are you nuts? How come you're not coming to coffee? What's, are you antisocial? Right? Why aren't you coming? No, this person is big tzaddik. He's, he's, he's avoiding because he knows that he... And it could be that the group doesn't plan on speaking any Lush and hard. They could be all wonderful people. But he's nervous about himself. And this could be true about any trait, any mida. Okay? And, you know, you, know, you find this. There are certain people, by the way, who have, um, who have personalities that are more prone towards addiction. Okay, that's a that, that that's something that could be built into a person's personality. It's 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 the way you know it's it's the way Hashem may have made that individual. Some people more than others. Okay, you do have people who take on um, you know who take on things that create addiction, even though they don't have um, even though they may not have those desires so much. But you have certain people who are more prone towards addiction. In turn. They need to stay farther away from those things that potentially are dangerous as far as addiction goes than other people. They do. 
Every person's different. And every person has this challenge in some way with one or two or three or whatever it is. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and each person, and in turn, every single person has to know that as far as themselves to do that soul searching, to really understand it. To really understand it, to really get into it, you know, in order to be able to, um, you know, in order to be able to tap into it. And he says that's what it means. Where do we go here? That oh, even though in the eyes of others it may be bad because they don't know what he needs. Yet nonetheless, that may be considered holich biyoshro, going in the upright path. Who yirei Hashem? That person is one who fears God. He truly fears Hashem because he's afraid not to come to an avera because of his natural tendencies. I have my world, my natural tendencies, the things that make me tick, the things that drive me, and I, in turn, need to protect myself as far as the negative things and as far as the positive things I need to do like Jessica Cox and tap into that and follow suit and go with it and go with it and go with it in an amazing way. There's an awesome story I, I saw about, a friend of mine shared this with me, about one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, I don't remember which one, but one of the you know, previous, not the, this previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, one of the you know, ones previously. And Alta, or, or Alta, Alta, I don't, whatever it was, but one of them, and it was a beautiful story. He said how uh, the, he, uh, the, he would meet, he would meet with his chassidim. They would come one-on-one, you know, individual to talk to him about their problems, etc., and their issues, their challenges to get advice, right? So the, his shamis, the person who would, you know, attend to him, he, one time he came to the Rebbe with a complaint. He said, listen, he said, you know, you take every single conversation so seriously with every single person, but I'm telling you, it's a big problem. You know Why? Because you, he said, you, you perspire a lot and you sweat a lot by every single one of these meetings. And every time you meet with one individual, you're sweating bullets like crazy. And then at the end of the meeting, I have to go and fetch you another pair of clothing for the Rebbe because it's not appropriate for the next person to see you drenched in sweat like this. So I got to go get you another pair of clothing because you're so sweaty. And, and, you know, and then it happens again. And then I got to go. You got to calm down. Okay. You got to settle down one pair of clothing. Okay. For the day. And then tomorrow. This is not okay. So listen to what the Rebbe said back. Amazing. The Rebbe said back as follows. He said, he said, I'm also very taxed with constantly fetching my clothing. He said, you see, when a chassid comes into the session with me, I have to change clothes because I have to change clothes into his clothes to see his perspective so that I really understand his issue. And then after I've changed into his clothes and I really understand his issue, then I have to give advice to the chassid. So I have to change back into my clothes. In order to understand, you know, from my perspective, how I can advise him. And then once I come up with the advice, I have to figure out the best way to communicate it to him. And the only way to communicate it to him is based on understanding how is he going to understand it based on his world and based on who he is. So I have to go back into his clothing. So I said, this is very taxing, changing all this clothing. So now you know why I'm so sweaty. (laughs) And the, the, you know, the idea is so incredible, you know, in order to really talk to another person, it, you have to really understand who they are and where they're coming from, because everybody is so different and where they're coming from is so unique and so special. 
So unique and so special. Now here's the question. Here's the million dollar question. The million dollar question is, is okay, you know, very nice. But why, why did Hashem set the world up this way? Like, why didn't Hashem set it up like the driving rules? Stop sign, right? Red light, green light, yield, very straightforward, figure it out. Okay, yeah, you know, it's obvious that when it says drive 65, that really means drive 80. Okay, I mean, that's what, right? That's what it means. Okay, but why didn't Hashem set it up that way? Why is it this like super uniqueness, etc.? So I'm going to quote you something I saw recently. It didn't make it onto the sheet. Um, just, uh, I, I forgot to put it on, my bad. <laughs> but listen to this. The stipler, the stipler going, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's father said something amazing. And he says, and I'll translate it to English. He says, you know why people were made differently? Why every single individual in Kali Yisrael and in the world was made differently? He says, and why were we made different in our midos, in our character, uva kishronam. Kishronam means in our um, abilities, in our talents. Everybody's got a different talent. Why? He says, kizehu kivodo shel habore. This is the ultimate honor to Hashem. Sheyavduhu bidrachim rabim. That Hashem should be served, that we should serve Hashem in many, many different ways, many different avenues. Each person serving Hashem based on his or her own personal talents and own personal world. And based on the challenges and the difficulties that that individual faces. You know, if you think about it, you think about all the good that comes out in Kal Yisrael, all the amazing good, you know, organizations such as Bone Olam, okay, that help out families with infertility. Okay, where do these, how, how did these organizations start? They start by people who are faced with this challenge, faced with this challenge, and they, as a result, stepped up to the plate to make it happen and to do something about it. You know, you see... Um, you know, you see, oftentimes I, I have a Haggadah at home, and I think I've presented it at, at, you know, at a few of these classes before, but uh, a Haggadah at home written by, by a big Talmud Chacham in Israel, Rabbi Baruch Chait, who writes a lot of very unique books. He's a very uniquely talented individual, and he writes books that are meant for kids, okay, kids and adults. And this Haggadah, I meant to bring it tonight, but okay, I forgot. It has, it's totally pictures and beautiful pictures that were very specifically designed, specifically drawn out um, to, to show you exactly what happened in Egypt during the time of the, uh, you know, during the time of Mitzrayim. And I thought to myself, like, you know, oh, the pers- a person could be the biggest Talmud Chacham, you know, the biggest Gadol in the world and not necessarily be able to do this. This person is uniquely talented, and he is. <laughs> and he used his talents to be able to come up with something, with come, up, come up with an idea that could be so beneficial to everybody else using his specific talents and what he's good at. You know, this guy, Gadi Pollock, who's his, who's his uh, what's it called? You know, he's the, he's the artist in that book, but he made his own books, okay? I don't know if anybody here has his books. Beautiful books. He's a, yeah, you have his books. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Yiddish cup and the, uh, right. I forgot what the other one is. But he, this guy is an incredible artist. And in turn, in turn, he's using it to draw and to put together these amazing books that are helping, that are helping kids, helping Jewish kids all around the world. 
These are examples of the big ones, of the big talents, but this is true about everything. Everybody has their own talent, their own uniqueness that they could bring to the world. You know, there's a, uh, there's a story that Rabbi Krohn tells over, which is so beautiful, about a, um, it could be you've heard this, it's gone around, but it's an amazing story about a symphony conductor named Artero Toscanini. You know the story. So Toscanini, so he, um, so, so he was a world famous conductor and somebody is writing an autobiography about him and he, um, and he asked him if he could meet with him. And he said, you know, he asked for a particular night and he said, no, that night's no good, why not? He said, because I'm listening on that night, I'm going to be listening on the radio to a, a particular symphony and I want to, I need to hear it, I, need, I can't be distracted. He said, okay, he said, but I'll come, I'll come and I'll listen with you and I'll just watch, I won't say a word. I won't say a word, I'll just listen there in the back. And uh, he says, okay, okay, fine, as long as you don't say a word. You won't say a word? Okay, fine. No word. So he came and he's watching and he's uh, watching him listen to the symphony. And at the end of the symphony, after it's over, after an hour, he says to him, wow, you know, this fellow says to, to Toscanini, he says, wow, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it such an amazing symphony? I love the music. And it was so good. And Toscanini looks at him, he's all angry. He says, no, it was terrible. So it was t- terrible. What do you mean? I thought it was so good. He said, no, there are supposed to be 15 violinists and there were only 14. He said, what? That's ridiculous. How could you possibly know that? Well, the next day he called up the symphony. He really wanted to get to the bottom of this. He called up the symphony and he asked them, he said, I'm just curious how many people were in the symphony last night and more specifically, how many violinists? And they said, you know, there's supposed to be 200 people in the symphony. There's supposed to be 15 violinists of those 200. But last night, right before the symphony, one of the violinists called in sick and we couldn't find a replacement. So there were only 14. He said, that's crazy. How did he know? So he goes back to Tuscany. He said, how do you know? So he said, it's so simple. He said, you, you're, you're a simple guy. You don't know anything about music and about symphony. So to you, everything sounds great. Everything sounds wonderful. He said, but to me, I'm the conductor. I'm the conductor. And the conductor is trained to understand the nuances and to understand what every single instrument and what every single person in the orchestra contributes. And therefore, I could tell the difference if one violinist isn't there out of 15, one musician out of 200 isn't there, all the music is off and it's wrong and it's bad and it's no good. The same idea is true by the Rabboni Shalom. You know, Hashem is the symphony conductor and Hashem knows how every single person, how every single person can, you know, uh, what they can contribute, what they have to offer. And how every single person can and is expected to offer something big, something big. I don't mean, something big doesn't necessarily mean something that gets published and is famous all around the world, but something big in what they can accomplish within their own families, within their surroundings, within their community, within themselves. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu recognizes that Hashem sees it. So the question is, and with the last part here, how do we know, how is a person supposed to know the parts that uh, the part that Hashem wants from them. How is a person supposed to know their personal role? This is a big issue. We talk very nice about, okay, you know, you know, you're supposed to know you have your own role. Very nice, wonderful, Rabbi. Okay, so what's my role? I don't know, <laughs> right? How is a person supposed to know their own role and to help our children develop their roles? So how are you supposed to do that? So Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz gives an amazing muscle. He says... If there's a construction worker, it's his first day on the job and he wants to know what to do. So the foreman tells him, listen, 
He says, you go, this is what you got to do. And it's going to be easy to figure out your job. You go to the site. This is where the construction site is. This is the location. I want you to go to the site, look, see what's going on. And you could figure out what needs to be done, what needs to be built. Then after that, you're going to look, there's a toolbox on the site that I prepared for you. I want you to open up the toolbox and look at every single tool that's there. And every single tool that's there is there for you to utilize. There's no tool there that is extra. Every tool is there for you to utilize for the job that you're looking at on the construction site. So the next day, that's what he does. He goes to the site and he sees, oh, and he's able to figure it out. Oh, they're building. Okay, I get it. Over here, they're building a school. Okay, got it. We're building a school. Okay, now I look in the toolbox. And I see what he prepared for me. Every single tool is meant to be used. So now it's very simple for a construction worker to now get to work and to figure it out. And he says that it's the same thing with us and with our personal role in Yiddishkeit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us, Hashem has given us a site. What is that construction site? The, constru- the construction site is the life that every single person was placed into. It's by no coincidence It's by no coincidence that every single person was born into the family they were born into. Every person lives in the community they live in. Every person associates with certain people in certain ways. It's by no coincidence. And, and, by the way, it's by no coincidence that Hashem gives certain challenges to certain people and not to others. And different challenges to those people, right? It's by no coincidence. Because that, that package right there, that site, those challenges, that neighborhood, that upbringing is, is the construction site. And what are the tools? The tools are our personality. The, to- the tools are what we have within ourselves, within our mind, within who we are. And a person just has to really, really spend some time soul searching and look within themselves to understand what is it that I'm good at? What is it that I have? What is it that Hashem gave me? What is it that I don't have? And guess what? That's fine. And that's a comfortable, that, that, that should be a comfortable conversation that a person has with themselves. What is it that I don't have? You know, we often get caught up, and especially kids, especially kids, and understandably so, get so caught up with that person is smarter. They got a higher grade on the test. They did better than me. They're better. Why is he better at, at football than I am? Why is all this stuff? And it's understandable because, you know, that's the challenge that we're given. But to, to come to the realization, to come to a healthy realization that, hey, you know what? I'm not good at football. Like that first kid said in the first story in the Canner family. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's awesome for kids. We should not, we should not hide that. We should not hide that like he was expecting his parents to do and pretend, oh, you're really good at this. Oh, you're really bad. No, you really are good at Kriya, at the reading, at reading. You really are on the same level as the other kids in the class. No, if the child's not, he or she is not. And guess what? We need to help them at that point, at whatever level that they're on. And we also need to help them realize that, hey, that's okay. It's okay that you're not on the same level as far as the reading, as far as the math, as far as the football. That's okay that you're not as the same as them. You're good at certain things. He or she is good at other things. 
And listen to what, um, <clears throat> what did I put? Oh, here it is. Number six on the sheet. Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tetz, who we quoted before with his mushal, he says in The Jewish Thinking Teenager's Guide to Life, which is one of his famous books, great book, great book, not meant for teenagers, okay? <laughs> he writes it, it's not meant for teenagers, it's meant for the parents of the teenagers. It is, I, I don't know what he meant, but when I read it, I was like, whoa, this is very deep. It's a very deep book and it's phenomenal. It really helps you understand um, ourselves, our kids, it's, it's awesome. So listen to what he says. If you think you lack the tools you need for life, you are wrong. You are mistaken either because you have those tools, but you are simply unaware of them, or you are mistaken about your task in life. You have the tools you need to fulfill your role, but you are pursuing the wrong role. Isn't that interesting? The role you imagine to be yours is in fact someone else's. We all know people like that, Right? It's, 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 it's such a sad thing when people live a life chasing, chasing a role that's not meant for them. Going after a job, going after a career that they're not really good at or they're not really suited for. They don't really want to do. Scary what, ha- what ends up happening. But he says you need to do I'm sorry, the role you imagine to be yours is in fact someone else's. In other words, you are unaware of your tools or you are unaware of your role. You need to do some serious work to discover exactly the nature of, to, of your tools and to discover all of them. Nothing has been given to you to be wasted and you need to do some serious work to discover your role. Stop longing for someone else's role and get busy finding yours. Again, the tools match the job exactly. We understand that the one who creates the whole enterprise gives every individual exactly what he or she needs to carry out the work that is necessary. Amazing, amazing quote. He wrote it up like, it's awesome. Every person is given their tools, is given what's perfect for them, is given what's right for them to be able to fulfill their role. The only thing is that if a person spends their life trying to do something that's not their role, then nothing ends up fitting. Then they think, I don't have the right tools. Why didn't God give me the tools that I'm supposed to have? Yeah, because you're not pursuing the right role, the role that was meant for you, okay? You know, person's not trying to do that, you know? It's like taking a can opener and trying to use it as a toothbrush, okay? <laughs> that's not going to work too well, right? That's not going to work too well because that's not the function of a can opener, okay? Person has to recognize, recognize their tools and their role. And we're going to close with the following story. Listen to this. I'm going to read to you a quote I love saying this over. I'm going to read to you a quote. I'm not going to tell you who said the quote until the end. Okay, but I want you to hear this, and it's, it's so amazing. And at the end, I'll tell you who said this. Here it is. I think back in my own experience to when I finally began to make something of my life, and I can identify the day. In those days, I was in yeshiva, surrounded by a group of brilliant near geniuses. These were my friends, my associates, my role models, and I tried to pattern myself after them. And then one day, I sat down in a room by myself, and I put my head in my hands, and I had a heart-to-heart talk with myself. And I said, you are not brilliant, I told myself. You are not a genius or a near genius. You have to be who you are. You have to start your learning from the fundamentals and work your way up. There are no shortcuts for you. 
Believe me, the experience was painful. I felt as if a dagger had been plunged into me. But it was my liberation, my personal exodus. That day was the turning day of my life. And this quote was said over by Rav Shlomo Freifeld, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Rav Shlomo Freifeld, who was one of the great Torah leaders of the last generation. Rav Shlomo Freifeld, who started a great yeshiva in Farakaway, Yeshiva Shar Yashiv, that many people may have heard of, that he was one of the leaders in the Kirov movement in the last generation. He himself um, brought back to, to, to Judaism so many Jews, countless and countless and countless numbers of Jews that he brought back. People who he taught, there's so many people out there, students of his, and his yeshiva today, a beautiful building in Farakaway that uh, you, know, you drive by and you see it with, one, with an amazing, amazing number of students that are there, that are learning, that are growing. One of the great leaders of the Jewish people of the last generation. And he felt that it was his personal exodus to recognize it, to recognize who I am, what I'm all about, what I really have, and to go from there. And, you know, I, 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 think, I think that this message, when we try our best, and I'm working on it myself, because it's so like going against the grain of society, but to try to appreciate it, to try to value it as far as ourselves, and to try to help it, and, you know, even more importantly, in a certain way, helping our kids as they're so young and impressionable, to help them not get sucked, sucked into the world of like just following after what everybody else does and what everybody else says, but recognizing their own individuality. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It really is a good thing for kids to know, to understand on their level, of course, and it has to be explained to them in a way that they can understand. And if it will be too detrimental for them, I, I, I don't know, a person then needs to seek advice, but, a person, but kids need to know and need to be trained at a young age that, that not every talent in the world is meant for you. And that's okay. That's healthy. That's amazing. That's awesome. You have your talent. You have your things that you're good at, and in turn, that's going to determine your role. And when we excel at that, when we excel at that, we recognize it, we recognize that mission, then we're going to accomplish in a big way in our ruchnias the same way that Jessica Cox accomplished so much to be able to fly a plane and play piano without any arms. We, too, can take our talents and our strengths and accomplish amazing, amazing, amazing things in this world when we tap, when we tap into that. So, Bezrat Hashem, we will all take this and recognize it and help our children recognize it. And in turn, we're going to be able to live very happy, probably the most important word, happy and fulfilling and fulfilling lives, Bezrat Hashem. So, any questions? Any questions on this point? Any, any points today? Okay? Okay, well, thank you very, very much. And next week... We'll be again next week, next Wednesday. Uh, we're doing by the Leonoff's house. So class number two is by the Leonoff's house. Also, my favorite class ever. I really say that by every single class to get everybody to come. The most important class ever. No, but uh, strengthening your values in today's world. Ooh, that's a, uh, ugh, that's a scary one. Okay, <laughs> but we'll talk about that one next week. Everybody have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, Thank you. my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.